That's big time. Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Oh, did he belt that one? Intensity is not a perfume. It was a no-downer. Five, four, three, two, one. We are up in the bird's nest here at Oreo Park at Camden Yards. I'm Brian Mortensen alongside Matt Bonaparte on this special Valentine's Day edition of yeah, the man. bird's nest. I mean, how can you not be romantic about baseball? Huh? <laughs> Pitchers and catchers report today. We're here. We I'm made so it. I'm so excited. We did make it. It was a yeah. long, cold off season, but the Corbin Burns acquisition has warmed all our hearts, and uh, yeah. I think we're all ready to see him in an Orioles jersey and ready to see this team go out and uh, compete for a World Series trophy. Yeah, I mean that first picture of Corbin Burns in an Orioles jersey today is gonna—it's gonna hit. That's gonna hit. It's gonna hit. It's gonna hit real and I'm well. I'm pretty excited about it. I won't lie to you. I yeah, am. I'm pumped. Yeah, you and I are heading down to Sarasota in just a few days. I'm excited. Yeah. I really am excited. I can't wait to see these guys at camp uh, just balling out. Balling. And seeing who's going to be battling for what and follow all those storylines. It's going to be so much fun. Well, we're going to get to those storylines here on this show. But first and foremost, we are going to talk, continue to talk about this Corbin Burns trade and what it means for the Orioles. Last week, we kind of talked about Burns himself, what he brings to the Orioles rotation, what it means for their outlook for 2024. This week, I want to talk about the ripple effect that that trade has created, both in the addition of Corbin Burns and in the two guys that you gave up, in D.L. Hall and Joey Ortiz, and what that means for the Orioles roster. Because pitchers and catchers report today, we are you know about a few days out from position players reporting and from everybody being down in Sarasota. And Mike Elias has said that they are not done looking for talent they're always looking for talent they will always bring guys in if it feels like the roster has a hole somewhere but he did say after this Corbin Burns trade they feel pretty good about where the roster is at and don't feel a need anywhere to go out and get somebody so there could be a spring training addition there's still a lot of free agents out there available if the Orioles are looking to sign anybody but it does seem like after the acquisition of Corbin Burns Michael Elias and company feel good about where this roster is at heading into spring training. And they should. And yeah. they should because this is a roster like all we've been saying that just added one of the best pitchers in the league on top of a foundation of 101 wins uh, and they should be expecting to compete once again and for many years after as well. Uh, so, you know, when you hear a GM say that, usually the fan base is like, oh gosh, he's not going to find anybody <laughs> yeah. else. But I think the Orioles fan base is in a position to be like, you know what, he's right. I think this team's pretty darn good. Yeah, so let's talk about the starting rotation and the bullpen. Those are the two places where this Burns trade will have the most obvious and apparent ripple effect as we look at the roster construction. We talked a little bit about it last week. I think the starting rotation is pretty much set. You have a lock with the top four in Corbin Burns, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, and John Means. I think Dean Kramer is pretty solidly your number five. I'm like 70-30 on Kramer. Yeah. I think he's probably number five, but... The 30 being Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells is the 30, and you can't count him out. I mean, like we've been saying, he was the best pitcher on the staff for the entirety of the first half. He finished the year with a whip under one. You can't count any of that out. Yeah. So Tyler Wells definitely is going into camp thinking, all right, I've still got a shot to start. And if he wows us, if, if he makes himself undeniable... I think that that 30 could pull through, but uh, Dean Kramer had a really good season last year, and if he's your fifth starter, I think you're in a really good spot. Yeah, I'd give it about a 75-25-5, with my five being Cole, Cole Irvin. Irvin. 
I think Dean Kramer is going to be the guy. As you mentioned, he was really solid last year, gave you 30-plus starts, stayed healthy. I think Dean Kramer more than likely did enough last year to convince the Orioles that he deserves that spot. Tyler Wells, too, has shown you that he can be a solid high-leverage reliever. You just lost somebody in D.L. Hall that could have been a high-leverage reliever for you. I think Dean Kramer, if he's in your bullpen, he's probably a long man, and you have options there already, which we will get to. Tyler Wells, I think you can pitch in inning or two spurts in pretty high-leverage spots, and that's still an important role. Maybe not as important as being a number-five starter, but being a really solid bullpen piece is still something very valuable, and he's shown that he can do that. So I think it's a combination of the fact that Dean Kramer did enough last year to prove that he should be in the starting rotation, and Tyler Wells has shown you that he can be a really effective bullpen arm. And that also might be a role that suits him better, because what was the issue he ran into last year? Yeah, arm fatigue. Just arm fatigue. Right. He threw 118 innings, and that's a lot of innings for a guy who's never thrown that many innings. So... I mean, that might be a better role for him coming out of the bullpen, not having to throw six innings, seven innings at a time, and being able to just go two here, three there, two here, four there kind of thing uh, and give you, whenever you need him, bring him out of the pen and he's your workhorse bullpen arm. Um, Obviously, he's got starter capability and potential, and maybe that's not a problem this year in terms of the arm fatigue, but it might be a role that suits him. Let's talk bullpen because a few weeks ago, we gave our predictions for what we thought the Orioles' bullpen would look like heading into spring training, heading into the season. I think our bullpen locks are probably the same. I think it's the same five guys that we had in Craig Kimbrell, Yenier Cano, Danny Coulomb, CNL Perez, Tyler Wells. You just took one of those bullpen locks out because if D.L. Hall didn't make the starting rotation, he was going to be in the bullpen. Yeah. So you have removed a really solid bullpen arm. I think there's kind of an addition to that in Dylan Tate. I know that I predicted that Tate would be in the bullpen on opening day. I don't think you had him in there because we just didn't really hear any updates on his health. He was injured at the beginning of last year, didn't see him for a while, kind of fell off the map a little bit. We weren't keeping super close track of him, and then it was all of a sudden like, where's Dylan Tate? What's what's going on here? was weird. Yeah, a little bit weird. So we saw Dylan Tate at the Birdland Caravan, and he goes, yeah, I'm 100%. Feel totally healthy. Good to go for spring training, which is a massive, massive addition. He looked excited for it. Guys could say that sometimes, and you're like, yeah, they have to say that. But he looked like he really wanted to get back, and he was excited to be there in spring. And I think he was being totally truthful about it, and I think that he'll be in that bullpen uh, by the year's beginning. I saw a video of him on Twitter already throwing 100. So that'll play. I think if we can see what we saw in 2022 out of that guy and he can pick up where he left off, he's going to be huge for this bullpen. Absolutely crucial, especially like you said, with the arm, uh, the the potential high leverage arm of Hall gone. Tate could absolutely be that guy. Yeah, 67 games in 2022 with a 3.05 ERA, and he dominates right-handed hitters. Yeah, he's fantastic. He has pretty drastic splits between when he's facing right-handed hitters and left-handed hitters. So he is a situational high-leverage guy in late innings, which is something that the Orioles don't really, really have. Right now, you have Yenier Cano, whose splits were a little bit there last year. Craig Kimbrell, historically, has not had major right-handed, left-handed splits. So it's nice to be able to have a right-handed specialist in Dylan Tate. And I think if he's healthy in spring training, he's a lock for me. 
for the bullpen. Me I know too. we didn't see him at all last year, but he is one of the few bullpen arms right now with a track record. We have a few guys that have had a really successful season, like Yenier Cano and Danny Coulomb. And, you know, Sinal Perez had the shaky first half, good second half, was solid and was great in 2022. Craig Kimbrell's the only other one with a track record. Dylan Tate has a few years prior to injury of being a very good bullpen arm. So yeah. Dylan Tate, for me, if he is healthy, full go in spring training, like he said, I think he's a lock to make the bullpen. As do I. Which puts me at six guys who are locks and two spots up for grabs in this Orioles bullpen. And I do think it is a competition. If you are looking at one spot on this Orioles roster that is a true competition, I think it's the final two bullpen arms. I broke these guys down into three categories. You have your right-handed short inning relief pitchers in Jacob Webb, who I think is the leader in the clubhouse for at least yes, one of those spots. But he's still got a battle. Yeah. Jacob Webb, Mike Bauman, and Brian Baker. You have your lefty short inning relievers in Nick Vespi. I mean, he's kind of the only one because you don't have DL Hall anymore, and really the only guys who fit that bill are Perez and Coulomb. And then you have your long man options. Cole Irvin, Jonathan Heasley, Bruce Zimmerman, Keegan Aiken. Yeah. To me, out of that group, my two leaders in the clubhouse are Jacob Webb and Cole Irvin. I agree. Because for Irvin, at least, he doesn't have an option left. So if you want to send him to the minors, he's going to have to clear waivers. Yep. And I don't think that's something that the front office necessarily wants to do. So I think he's got that on his side. And then for Webb, we saw him plenty last year, 3-2-7 ERA, 22 innings. They called him every day Jacob Webb because he just didn't get tired. He was reliable. He went out there and got the job done. Uh, I think that'll play for him. But for both of those guys, they have to earn their spot. It's not going to be a given. They have to go into spring training and play really well because there's a lot of young talent or there's a lot of uh, bullpen talent that you mentioned, Aiken and Zimmerman and Vespi and all those guys, Bauman and Baker, who want to take their jobs and have the talent to do so. Right. So they need to go into spring training and earn them, but I think they totally can and they probably could. Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of guys that may miss out on this bullpen <laughs> that were significant contributors to the Orioles last year. I mean, we're talking about somebody in Mike Bauman who appeared in 60 games and had a 376 ERA. Yeah. And he may be on the outside looking in. Brian Baker made your postseason roster. And neither of those guys are shoo-ins for this yeah. Orioles bullpen right now. I do think Jacob Webb, as you mentioned, is is the leader in the clubhouse. Cole Irvin also gave you some really, really solid innings down the stretch. He was fantastic down the stretch. 24 games on the season with a 442 ERA doesn't look great. 11 games post-August 1st, 33 and a third innings with a 243 ERA. Yeah. Gave you some really valuable spot starts when Tyler Wells went down and you needed somebody to just eat innings at the end of the year before John Means got back. So I think Cole Irvin can give you that three to four inning if it's a blow-up game sort of, you know, role. And that's valuable to have yes. in a bullpen. Also, not for nothing. You may not be a high leverage guy, but that is an important guy to have. Yeah, and you might be looking at this surplus thinking, you know, like a lot of wasted talent, guys aren't going to see the majors, whatever. But really what the Orioles are doing are putting themselves in a position to put a Band-Aid on injuries when they when they have to. And because sure. injuries are inevitable, obviously we don't want to see them, but they happen in this game. Uh, and when somebody goes down, 
they're going to have a guy immediately to bring right up. So that's something that you have to be pumped with this front office because there's just not a lot of teams that are going to be in a position where they are, where a bullpen arm goes down, maybe it's one of the most crucial, maybe it's not. They're going to have somebody to fill their place. So, Bones, I'll pose this question to you on the injury front. When we were talking about the Orioles' starting rotation a few weeks ago, before the Corbin Burns trade, one of the reasons I gave that it would make sense for the Orioles to add a starting pitcher was that you always need more than five guys over the course yes. of the season. There's going to be injuries. You need spot starts here and there. Whatever it may be, very rarely, if ever, are you going to see only five or six guys make starts for, Almost never for a team during a season. The Orioles just traded away one of their starting options in DL Hall to get a starter in Corbin Burns. And yes, Corbin Burns has been incredibly reliable over the past few seasons. He is top five in starts and innings over the last three years. So more likely than not, he is going to post every fifth day. But you also lost a depth piece in DL Hall to give you spot starts if needed. Right now, outside of the five guys that we mentioned... I think there's realistically two guys on this roster that you would feel good about starting games if somebody were to go down in Tyler Wells and Cole Irvin. I mean, maybe Heasley, maybe Zimmerman, but for me, it's really just Wells and Irvin. Do you think there is a need for the Orioles to add another sort of spot start swing man, long relief capable type of pitcher to fill a similar role to DL Hall? I really don't, and it's because they have so much starting talent that's on the brink of ready to come up. When you look at guys like McDermott, sure. Povich, we don't know what Seth Johnson's going to do. There's plenty of talent down there, and if you really need to bring it to, to add somebody, you can look towards them. Chase McDermott's 25. You know, it's not like he's getting any younger either. So I think he's going to be a guy this year. I mean, Jim Palmer Award last year was really great in AAA, 2.49 ERA in the highest level of the minors last season. He's a guy that could get a shot in that situation. Sure. Uh, Povich has great stuff, and, and maybe the numbers will come up a little bit this year. Um, I think that they have plenty of options. I think they've got plenty of options. I agree. However, think the Orioles don't want to be at a point where you are now relying on somebody sure. like Chase McDermott or Cade Povich. It wouldn't shock me if a few weeks into spring training, they targeted somebody like Michael Lorenzen, a bullpen arm that could make spot starts here and there if you needed him. I do think the Orioles are in good shape because they have Tyler Wells, they have Cole Irvin, who could both make starts if needed. Yeah, But I wouldn't be shocked if there was some sort of one-year veteran deal on somebody who can fill both of those roles as a bullpen arm, maybe with minor league options as well, that could bounce back and forth if you needed him. Here's my question with a guy like that. You're bringing in a guy, if you're going to pay him, or if you're going to bring in a free agent like that, you're going to pay him. Sure. Um, and he's going to expect to play. So who are you going to bump off the out of the bullpen if you add Michael Lorenzen? I think somebody like Lorenzen would probably take the spot of a Jacob Webb. Okay, so you then you have those two spots in the bullpen that are available. Lorenzen is somebody who has shown that he can be a solid. He can bullpen kind of be piece. your Fuji, right? Solid bullpen piece, and he could make spot spot starts if you need him to. I mean, he got traded to the Phillies last year, started for a little while, then the Phillies used him exclusively out of the bullpen. So I wouldn't be surprised if they add somebody like that, but I don't think it's necessarily a need. I also don't think it's necessarily a need for the Orioles to add a left-handed bullpen arm. 
Michael Elias was asked that. I mean, they have two really solid lefties in CNL Perez and Danny Coulomb at the back end of the bullpen. I think Cole Irvin probably makes this bullpen as well. So you have three left-handed options that you can go to. So I don't think it's a necessity that they get another lefty to fill DL Hall's role. It doesn't need to be a perfect four righties, four lefties split in the bullpen. I think Brandon Hyde will be fine with five and three. Yeah, I mean, I think another lefty couldn't hurt, but I don't think it's necessary for sure. And Nick Vespi, too, is somebody that has shown a ton of promise at AAA Norfolk. He's just got to figure it out a little bit at the big league level, still younger. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles feel comfortable with him just as their internal option for another left-handed pitcher out of the bullpen if they needed one. Bruce Zimmerman and Keegan Aiken, too. Two more left-handed options there. So and I they, think, they've got guys that they could go to. I think Perez is going to be huge this year. I really do. Yeah. He was elite versus lefties last year, 2-2 ERA against him. I think uh, he's going to be a guy we see a lot whenever a lefty, a big lefty's up late in the game. Yeah. So I think as of right now, the bullpen options feel pretty set, and we will go into spring training and see who's able to win that competition for the final few spots in the Orioles' bullpen that it feels like are up for grabs. But as mentioned, Mike Elias has said that the Orioles feel good about where this roster is at as a whole. And again, you know, we kind of did our off-season preview talking about some places that the Orioles could potentially fill holes, and they didn't do a ton. Not that they really needed to, and they got great guys in the places that they needed to. They needed a starter and got an ace in Corbin Burns. They needed a closer and got one of the best closers of all time in Craig Kimbrell. So they filled the holes that they needed to fill really well. But there still were some places that we thought Baltimore could potentially add that they didn't end up doing. So let's just kind of run through those there. You didn't bring in any designated hitter competition for Ryan O'Hearn, Heston Kerstad, Mountcastle, Santander, McCann. I think you feel pretty solid about that group. I think there was a chance that maybe the Orioles said, I don't know if Ryan O'Hearn's going to be able to repeat the season that he had last year. Maybe we bring in a more established big bat. Ryan O'Hearn, by the way, avoiding arbitration, agrees to a deal with the Orioles with a club option for 2025, which is great. So the Orioles clearly feel confident that Ryan O'Hearn's success from a season ago is repeatable, and they found something that they can work with for this year and maybe for 2025 as well. I think the DH situation will be fine because you've got O'Hearn, and if O'Hearn doesn't produce the way you'd like, you've got Kowser and you've got Kerstad, and you've got a ton of other names that could potentially play that role too. So I wouldn't really be worried about the DH situation. I think going out and getting a guy like Hicks would just delay some other guys from coming up. Sure. So I don't hate that they didn't go and get somebody. Yeah, I think right now you're confident in O'Hearn. Shows confidence in Heston Karstad. There's no reason well. not to be confident in O'Hearn. He right. played so well last year and it and and was just he came up clutch plenty. And he's a guy you want on your team. Yeah. So I, I think that's a nice vote of confidence there for those guys. Unlike years past, you don't bring in another veteran infielder. Yeah. You add in Maton and Soto, but I, I really think those guys are more AAA depth than they are guys that we could see get con- significant playing time at the big league level. I don't think those guys are really going to challenge, so obviously, somebody like Jackson Holiday, but even Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo. So that's, that's good news for those guys. We talked about all offseason long the level of prospect that was nipping at the heels of Jorge Mateo and Ramon Arias, and you don't add a veteran infielder. 
and you lose one of those prospects in Joey Ortiz. So that's good news for Mateo, Urias, even Connor Norby as well that, you know, potentially you could see a path for Norby to make this big league roster. I don't really see it opening day, but it could happen at some point down the line. I don't think it changes much for Jackson Holiday because if you feel like Jackson Holiday was ready to make the big league club on opening day, then he's going to be your starter regardless yeah. of what those other veteran guys are doing. But I think not bringing in a veteran second baseman is probably still a vote of confidence that Jackson Holiday is either going to be ready at opening day or pretty close to opening day, maybe a month or so down the line. Yeah, if we don't see him break camp, I think uh, he'll, he'll start a year in AAA. If he hits the cover off the ball, which he has never not, yeah, uh, he'll probably up pretty soon. So I wouldn't hold your breath on that. Um, or maybe do hold your breath on that, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, the infield is... The infield's going to be fine. And and this was the first year in a while that they didn't need to sign a guy. Yep. So I don't hate that they didn't. Um, there's there's so much talent there, like we've mentioned all off season, The Norbies and the Mayos of the world waiting in the wings to, to make their mark. Um, I think the infield's going to be one of the best in baseball, actually, this year. I think they have some of the most raw talent of any team putting out a young infield like they are with, with Henderson and Westberg and Mountcastle. I think they're going to be fantastic. Yeah, Carlos on YouTube following along with us live. Thank you, Carlos. Asks, thoughts on Mayo breaking camp with the Orioles? I think there's a possibility. This I is do, a question I wanted to ask. Yeah, today. I do think the Joey Ortiz trade opens up a path for Kobe Mayo a little bit. I don't know if the window is wide open, but Joey Ortiz was somebody that definitely was in the way of Kobe Mayo making the yes. big league roster. Now. What do you think Kobe Mayo has to do to make the roster? Like, what can it, he do? It, it's tough because Kobe Mayo, when you're looking at the numbers, it's kind of interesting how differently we talk about Jackson Holiday and Kobe Mayo. I understand that Mayo is not quite the caliber of prospect. But he ain't far behind. Of Jackson Holiday, but no, he's not that far behind. And in his age 21 season in AAA Norfolk, in 62 games, he had an OPS of 905. Now, he only hit 267, but he's a massive power guy. He had 12 homers. He had 15 doubles. So he did pretty much everything that you would want him to do in a large sample size in AAA Norfolk. And yes, he's going to be entering his age 22 season. He's still young and he doesn't necessarily need to break big league camp. I don't think I'm going to be disappointed if Kobe Mayo doesn't break big league camp because there's probably more development that we could see from him in AAA Norfolk. But I do think there's a scenario where we get to spring training and Kobe Mayo is just tearing the cover off the ball and one of Jorge Mateo or Ramon Arias probably Arias because Arias plays more third base. There's a scenario where Arias struggles, isn't hitting very well, and Kobe Mayo is tearing the cover off the ball and plays a good defensive third base and, you know, maybe shows you some positional versatility elsewhere that I think there's a path now without Joey Ortiz because Joey Ortiz more than likely would have played along with second base and shortstop a good bit of third base if he broke camp with the team. I think your question here is would you rather have Kobe Mayo be on the roster and not get consecutive playing time? Yeah. Or would you rather him just continue to rake in AAA? You know? Yeah. Like, that, would you rather play every single game in AAA or play three times a week, maybe less, in the majors? 
it's hard because the Orioles just won 101 games. And on most other teams in baseball, he'd start. He would start immediately because he is the caliber of prospect that you would want to come up to the big league level and get everyday reps. However, same thing can be said for Colton Kowser. He's a top yes. 20 prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline. And on maybe 25 other teams around the league, Colton Kowser is breaking camp as a starting outfielder somewhere, but not on the American League winning Baltimore Orioles. Yes. Colton Kowser is fighting for a fourth outfield spot, even though he has proven everything he needs to prove at AAA Norfolk and just needs to get his feet under him at the big league level. Kobe Mayo falls into that category as well. Because as you mentioned, if he gets called up to the big leagues, I don't know if there's a scenario where he starts every day. There isn't. Especially if Jackson Holiday breaks camp. Yeah. Because you'd be looking at Holiday starting every day, Gunnar Henderson starting every day, Jordan Westberg starting close to every day with Arias and Mateo mixed in. Maybe he takes the spot of Arias and becomes mixed in, but Getting mixed in is his best case scenario. Only other thing I could think of is if you wanted to like platoon him at DH with O'Hearn, which you just you, probably you wouldn't. You could, do. but Ryan Mountcastle's kind of exactly, already doing that's that. That's what I was going to say. And you've got James McCann as a right-handed exactly. DH option. So there's just like I just that's the the question that was on my mind this morning walking in was, is there anything Kobe Mayo can do? Like, is it is it out of his hands? Is he just is he going to go out there and, and play better than most people on the field and? It's just a matter of circumstance that he can't make. He just can't make this team at opening day. Maybe we'll see him in the early months of the season. That's possible, especially if there's an injury. But I just don't know if we're going to see him have consistent playing time in a while. Yeah, I think it's hard because he's going to do everything really well if he goes back to AAA Norfolk. We already saw it last year. Yeah, He's going to mash, and I think there's just a scenario where maybe somebody like Ramon Arias or Jorge Mateo struggles and Kobe Mayo is right there ready to pounce. It's like when you're playing like a franchise video game and you get too many good players and you're like, man, yeah, wish I could put that guy starting, but I wish I, I, wish I could put him somewhere. Third. I also would not be surprised if we see Kobe Mayo play a bunch of different positions. In yeah, spring just training. try and try him out. Norfolk sees what he can do, yeah. see where they can put him just to keep his bat in the lineup and right. throw him somewhere. I could yeah. totally see that he's, too. He's that kind of player, right? And yeah. he's also the kind of person from all of our conversations with Kobe. He's the type of guy to go, I, I don't care if I'm playing second base, center field, yep. left forward, just Put me in the Left lineup somewhere. He, he, he'd probably play it if he needed to. <laughs> so Kobe Mayo, I think, has a chance to make the opening day roster, but I would I would temper those expectations a little bit. Kind of keeping these questions rolling. They're good questions here as we're looking ahead at some spring training storylines. Dave on Facebook following along live asks, does Holiday make the team only if he can start, or would it be wiser not to give him time in the bigs a little bit and then give him a little bit of time in AAA? I think if you feel like Jackson Holiday is big league ready, he's a starter. There's a part of me that answer. does say, like, rushing this guy to the majors, there is some risk involved. Like, obviously, sure. he's played so incredibly well, but you really have no idea what he's going to do against major league pitching. Um, I mean, all, all things point to him being a success, but we don't know what's going to happen. So if we want to see him develop a little bit more in, in AAA, this, that's what the front office decides to do. I wouldn't be against it, just so we yeah. can see um, closer to major league talent before he gets up. Like, I wouldn't be against that necessarily. But to answer the question, I think he only makes the team if he's going to start in the middle infield. Yeah, I think 
as you mentioned, the question is just, is Jackson Holiday ready for the majors? It's not a question yeah. of, is he ready to start? Because if you believe that he is ready for the majors, He's start. then you believe that he is a starter. This isn't a guy that you bring up just to pinch hit every now and again and, and fill in. I mean, he's too good for that. Yeah. And once he's ready, he will be the starting second baseman, shortstop, wherever they want to put him for the Orioles. Yeah, again, you know, to go to the, the position thing, too, I think Jackson Holiday is your second baseman of the future as of sure. right now. That doesn't say, that doesn't mean that he's not going to play any shortstop in 2024, but... I would be surprised if he's not your second baseman, just yeah, the mean, way you, that this roster is constructed right now. You expect Gunner to be the shortstop, right. sure. He also plays a great third base, yeah. and he's another guy like Mayo who says, I don't care, put me wherever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's probably your second baseman <clears throat> just because Gunner's that good. Yeah. Um, but you also have the versatility of Westberg can play second or third, and it doesn't matter. Yeah. And he's also going to start. I think there could be lineups where you see Gunner at third, Holiday at short, and Westberg at second. I yeah. think if I had to guess, I would see most lineups as Holiday at second, Gunner at short, Westberg at third. Yeah, it could go either way, probably, but you'll probably see Gunner at short. You're fine with a lot. Yeah. But yeah, to, to answer that question again, if Jackson Holiday is big league ready, he's a starter. Absolutely. He has the talent. He should be starting every day if he is at the major league level. Going back to that roster construction conversation a little bit. So you didn't add any DH competition. You didn't add a veteran infielder, which you have done in years past. As I mentioned, you add Maton and Soto, but it feels like minor league depth because with no Joey Ortiz in AAA Norfolk and potentially no Jackson Holiday in AAA either, the infield was kind of slim behind Connor Norby. You were looking at guys like Taron Vavra, Anthony Servidio, to potentially fill those roles. So you needed some AAA depth in the middle infield, and I think that's the role that Maton and Soto were going to serve. You also didn't add a fourth outfielder. Yep. As you mentioned, it was a possibility that the Orioles bring in somebody like Aaron Hicks to fill a similar role that he had last year. And as of right now, I think that competition is set with where we thought it would be a couple of weeks ago between Heston Kerstad, Colton Kowser, Sam Hilliard, Kyle Stowers, Ryan McKenna. A lot of names, man. A lot of names. A lot of good names. And I am on board with the fact that the Orioles did not bring in somebody like Aaron Hicks because you don't want to block Kerstad or Kowser. I agree. I don't think Kyle Stowers' story is done. I think there's a possibility that he really shows out at spring training and gives us and shows us the same kind of promise that we had for him at the beginning of last season. And Ryan McKenna, again, he just he keeps doing Ryan McKenna. He's going to be a great, you know, pinch runner. He is going to be a great defensive replacement. He's going to be great against left-handed pitching. So you know what you have there as well. There's a lot of good options. Stowers hit 875 in 68 games at Norfolk. 875 know? OPS? Yeah. Eight, I, would be shocked if, I would be shocked if he hit 875. 875 OPS, 17 homers, nearly 50 RBIs. Yeah. Like you said, his story is not over. Uh, and he's definitely in this conversation, and I think he should know that going into spring training because if he battles hard, he could have this spot just like uh, Kowser and Kerstad could. The betting odds are probably against him, but I think that he could have this job. Um, the fourth outfielder spot's going to be, I think, for me, the most interesting thing of spring training because I don't really know where they're going to go with it. You have two incredibly blue-chip prospects in Kowser and Kerstad yeah. who could take that spot, who could really play well you know that they're both incredibly talented um but 
Do you want them to develop a little bit more? I don't know how much more developing there is to do for them. Uh, so that's a question that's certainly circling in Mike Elias and Co.'s mind. Um, but, yeah, that's going to be something that's going to be fun to watch because Kerstad and Kowser don't even serve the same role. You know, Kerstad's the the left-handed bat who's going to be a right field, first base, DH guy. His glove's not as good as Kowser's. Kowser can play all three outfield positions, yep. and they both have power, but... Kowser's glove definitely offers more than Kerstad. So yeah. that's going to be super interesting to see what they go with because if you want some defense, Kowser's probably the guy. But, you know, Kerstad was on your playoff roster. You know, he yeah. was a guy who, he was really who came good. in really late in the year, provided some uh, a little bit of offense here and there. He had a home run. Yep. Um, and he was on your playoff roster. So maybe he's the most favored guy to take that spot. But. I mean, Colton Kowser's Colton freaking Kowser. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be really, really interesting and fun to watch because that's something you should follow. Yeah, and kind of to put that conversation in perspective and just why it's so important, I do think it is the biggest storyline of spring training. When we're talking about that fourth outfielder competition, I just want to break down the roster a little bit further. Sure. So to emphasize the importance of that fourth outfielder spot, you have your starting nine guys Right, We don't need to run through that entire nine there. But then your bench, you have three spots that are kind of set. And yeah. it's only going to be a four-man bench. Right now, you have James McCann, who you know is making the roster as your backup catcher. You have Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo, who you assume are going to make the roster because they are incredibly versatile. They've been on the team for a few years now. They're both gold-glove caliber players that can you know start games for you probably both against left-handed pitching. Ramon Rios does have reverse splits, so maybe he gets in against righties. Whatever it may be. But Mateo and Rios, we think, are pretty solidly making this team, unless somebody like Connor Norby I'd be or Kobe Mayo makes a huge dump, jump in spring training and challenges one of those guys. Which means, not only are we talking about the fourth outfielder spot as a big competition between these guys, it is also the last position player spot on this team, period. Yeah. So it's... It's not that they can it, both make it. No. we There's not a scenario, not that I'm seeing at least, where both Heston Kerstad and Colton Kowser are on this roster. Yeah. So it's the fourth outfielder competition. It's really the final position player competition. Yes. Um, I mean, it, it's going to be... I, I couldn't predict it. It's almost impossible because it's all dependent on what they do and what the Orioles think they need in that role. Again, if they if they want a guy who can play left field and give Austin Hayes a day off, you can kind of only you got to kind of rule Kerstad out. And you got to look at the other 3 because McKenna obviously a really good defender too and Stowers can play out there. So that's going to be something that probably comes into play, but I don't know. It's hard to pick against Kerstad because he was here. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's a really difficult uh, situation, but uh, it's a good problem for the Orioles to have because it's just a surplus of talent. Sure. And for me, I think that is, again, the biggest storyline that I'll be looking at when we are down in yeah. Sarasota. Let's kind of go over some of the biggest things that we'll be looking for. Fourth outfielder spot, those two bullpen spots that are up for grabs, and whether or not Jackson Holiday will make the opening day roster, I think those are the three things you're really looking at. Me as well. Um, there's some good storylines this year. We're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> this doesn't always happen. So I'm excited to follow them. It's going to be fun. Outside of that, 
I think you're looking at, are there any prospects that could potentially make a big jump? Yes. We always see that at spring training, right? Somebody plays really, really well, raises some eyebrows. We saw that with D.L. Hall in spring training a couple of years ago. I remember the game against the Phillies where he pumped 100 and hadn't really shown you much in AAA Norfolk, but was just striking everybody out yeah. in spring training. And everyone was like, oh, man, like does D.L. Hall need to be on this team right now? And then, you know, struggled a little bit in AAA, whatever, but... We could still see some guys at spring training, maybe Connor Norby, maybe a Kobe Mayo, maybe even somebody like Chase McDermott or Cade Povich, where if they're shoving in spring training, you're going, okay, do they need to be in the conversation for potentially a bullpen spot? Yes. Could they be in that conversation? Will they maybe be a spot starter down the line? So maybe you're not looking for guys that could make the opening day roster, but certainly guys who put themselves in the conversation that put themselves in the conversation and make you say, okay, they might be here at the big league level a little bit sooner than we expected. Here's another question I was thinking about. How well does Samuel Basayo have to play to start the year in AAA? Ooh. Cause obviously I, like, I think he'd have to be, he'd have to be like nuclear. Unbelievable. Yeah. He'd have to be ridiculously good, but he could be like, yeah, we don't, uh, he very well could be. He got four games in double-A Bowie last Yeah, so year. that's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Like, almost any scenario, he's going to start in Bowie. Yes. But if he hit if he had 1,000, surely they'd start him in triple-A, right? I, like, there's got to be a line there. Like, yeah. I, how well does he have to play? Because, you know, they want to see him. That's why he's going to be there. So, surely he has a shot. I will say I would be pretty floored. If I'd be shocked. The season I would at be absolutely shocked, but it could happen. I would give him about a 98% yeah. chance to start the season <laughs> at double-A Bowie. However, I do think the bigger conversation there with Samuel Basayo is if he plays really well at big league camp, if he just really overperforms and is looking like one of the best prospects in baseball, which he already is, how well does he have to play at spring training, combined with how well would he have to play at Double A Bowie and Triple A Norfolk to potentially see him in August September? I wow. think that's the bigger question. I don't. Because uh, I mean, he's he's at Double A. It's you, not out of the, the question that we is, see him though, in twenty twenty four. All right, if we're gonna really have that conversation, you then have to go back to roster construction. And obviously, we have no idea what the roster is gonna look like in August and September. But if we're assuming everybody's healthy, which was almost never the case. Where does he possibly fit in? I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I just don't. I, I don't like, like you. You'd be in. There's no way. Like, there's absolutely no way. I thought you were going to say, "How well does he have to play to be the number one prospect in baseball?" Well, he could do that too. Yeah, he because that is attainable. I'm just saying, based on the meteoric rise that we have seen from Samuel Basayo, it is not out of the question. Yeah, that he starts the season at Double A. Only needs 30, 40 games there because he was there at the end of last season and was fantastic in four games. Gets up to AAA Norfolk, tears the cover off the ball, and somebody at the big league level is struggling enough where Samuel Basayo could be a 19-year-old DH. Yeah. I just think there's a scenario. I would give it a 2% yeah, chance. Say, you got about a 2% but there is a chance scenario. on that. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that would be crazy. Yeah. He'd have to not miss a beat. No. Like, he couldn't have a bad week. Like, he'd have to continue to just... He'd have to be, as I've said on the show a couple times about other guys, he'd have to be undeniable. And you would also have to think that a 19-year-old is ready for the big league. Class. I think the baseball world would all have to be looking at him. Like, everybody would have to know his name. You know, he'd have to be that guy. That, I, he'd have to be a similar Jackson Holiday type pro 
product. I mean, we might be getting oh there. Gosh. That's all I'm saying. I hope he's the number one. That would be so cool. A point being there that I think a big, big league spring training could help his case. Yeah. If you're looking at something at the end of the year, don't think it's going to happen, but I think it's possible. Other biggest storyline for me that is a, kind of an underrated one, and my final storyline that I'll be looking at in spring, just the health, right? Yes. I mean, going into the season, you are really only looking at one guy in Felix Bautista that the Orioles are expecting to miss significant time in 2024. Obviously, that calculus is going to change. Guys get injured. Guys miss time. It happens. A few guys in John Means and Dylan Tate that I'm excited to see how they look after a fully healthy offseason. Seth Johnson. John Means is the guy I'm going to be looking at. Yeah, Seth Johnson, same thing. How yep. does he look? Does he potentially work his way into the conversation at some point in 2024? So just how healthy is everybody? Hopefully you don't have any injuries at spring training. Want to see how guys like that that are coming back from injuries look. And, and hopefully you're going into 2024 with, again, only Felix Bautista as the one guy that you are expecting to miss time. Yep. You got to hope everybody stays healthy. And the guys that have had recent injuries, hopefully they can rehab best as possible. Yeah. Well, look, it's going to be an exciting spring training. We're here. We're going to be I'm in pumped. Sarasota. It's going to be fun, man. In just a few days, the next time we talk to you here on the Bird's Nest, we will be in Florida. Yep. It's going to be sunny. There's going to be baseball. We're going to hear pops of the glove. <laughs> man, it's going to be great. We're going to hear pops of the glove. Pops of the glove. Well, we got a lot of comments live today on YouTube and Facebook. Thank you so much for following along and commenting along. We always love seeing your questions and answering your questions when we can. If you didn't follow along live today, make sure you do so. We're live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on YouTube and Facebook, or you can catch us after the fact on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts or your digital shows. You can find myself and Matt Bonaparte here on the Bird's Nest. Make sure you're following along with the Hot Stove Show, too, on Mass and All Access. That's going to be morphing into the spring training report in just a week. So make sure you are following along with all of our coverage on our Mass and Orioles social pages on MassandSports.com, on the Mass and app. All that good stuff. Big thank you to Amy Jennings behind the scenes for producing this one. For Matt Bonaparte, I'm Brendan Mortensen, and we'll catch you next time.